Well, let's take our Bibles tonight. Let me ask you to turn to a couple different passages, if you would, please, to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, if you would. And then, of course, our passage in the book of Acts. So Isaiah 35 will begin. Isaiah 35 speaks of Messiah and his coming and the way in which he would come and some indicators that Messiah has come. We don't have time tonight. It's just 10 verses, but we just want to focus on, a, on verses 3 through 6 of Isaiah 35. And then we'll find our place in Acts in chapter number 3. So Isaiah 35 and Acts chapter 3 tonight for our consideration. Verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an harp, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall, shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And we'll conclude our reading there in Isaiah. Let's go over to Acts in chapter number 3. We're going to read of a lame man who went from being lame to leaping. Acts in chapter number 3. We could also read, and I'll just refer to it as you're finding your place there in, in Acts chapter 3, but we could also read in Luke chapter 7 how that when John the Baptist, he had a time of doubting, and he asked uh, uh, one of his, two of his disciples to go and to ask Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus uh, sent uh, those, uh, those witnesses back, those individuals, those disciples of John back, and he said, Go your way, tell John what things you have seen, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. To the poor, the gospel is preached. He said, go tell them that. And what he, what he meant by that is, John will get it, because that's out of Isaiah 35. Just go tell him what's happening. He'll make the connection. All right? So we're in Acts chapter 3 tonight. This all fits together, because now the ministry of the Messiah is continuing, continuing on, only it's continuing through his disciples. And so we read now in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Boy, did he. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. And lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood. For the very first time, mind you, he stood 
and walked and entered in with them into the temple. Walking. Well, walking was too boring. So he went to leaping. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. In fact, in so much so, we'll, we'll stop there, but they're going to crowd in around Peter and John and this lame man, which, by the way, that lame man, he wouldn't let go of Peter and John. He stayed right there with them. And, though, and so Peter, the rest of the chapter goes on, how that Peter, he took it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. I believe he's looking for one. And he took it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And many people rejoiced in what took place, but not everybody. In fact, what starts here in chapter 3 will carry us through chapter 5. And uh, some were rejoicing, others were ready to do some persecution. And so uh, it's a unique situation that trans transpires here in the book of Acts. And so I'd like to preach to you tonight on this title. We have something better than silver and gold. We have something better than silver and gold. May God bless the reading of His Word. As you're seated, we'll get into the message tonight. <clears throat> well, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? That's the uh, question kind of floating around here a little bit between family members. What do you want for Christmas? And yeah, it depends on who you ask. Somebody might say, oh, nothing. Or you ask other individuals, different age groups, kids, what do you want for Christmas? Well, and then a big old list starts, starts coming. Usually rather expensive list, right? What do you want for Christmas? What if we asked it this way? What do you need for Christmas? What do you need? Well, that would narrow the list down, wouldn't it, considerably? We went from what, what do you want from, to what do you need. See, there's a difference between what you want and what you need. There's a difference between what you want and what you need. The lame man in Acts chapter 3, he knew what he wanted, and he thought he knew what he needed. But there was a great difference. And although um, Peter and John did not have what he requested, they did have what he needed. Yeah, that's for sure. And so we're going to look at that tonight here in Acts in chapter number 3. We've, we're studying the book of Acts because Acts is uh, written for the benefit of a man named Theophilus, who was a believer. He was a, a new believer as far as we know. And so all this was new to him. And, and so Luke was not one of the um, apostles that traveled around with Jesus, but he had firsthand knowledge of that. He also traveled eventually with Paul. And so he's writing to his friend named Theophilus and encouraging Theophilus to be very bold in his proclamation of the gospel because what you have believed when you receive the gospel, it has a rich history about the Messiah. And, and so you've not, you have not believed something that somebody just came up with some time here recently. Luke is writing to him, but it's that which the prophets have prophesied. It's been long standing. And, and so he's validating the the uh, the content of the gospel in Luke, in the gospel Luke, and this would be like volume two. And so it just goes on. So Luke would deal with the content of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his ascension. The book of Acts begins with that ascension of Jesus Christ and declares 
his death, burial, and resurrection, but it also shows how that this powerful gospel spread. How it started in Jerusalem as they began to preach and teach Jesus Christ, but it, it was not able to be contained there. It went to Judea and Samaria, among other Jews, and then it would go to Gentiles within that region, and then past that it would go into Europe, and then from there into Asia, and eventually it's going to make its way all the way to Rome. That's the power of the gospel on display. Because listen, when the church is convinced that this is the message that everybody needs to hear, there's not any power on earth that can stop the spread of the gospel as the church prays and, and gives themselves to boldly proclaim the gospel. And so uh, we've seen so far in the book of Acts that we have the authority to preach the gospel from the risen Savior who is ascended up on high, and there's no authority higher than him, so we have all the authority that we need to assemble here tonight and to boldly proclaim the gospel. We have that authority. We've seen that. We've seen that God prepared the church by uh, the way that they gave themselves to prayer in the upper room. God prepared them and God gave them guidance in, in uh, pro boldly proclaiming the gospel. In chapter 2, we saw this, that a spirit-filled church gives witness to the gospel. A spirit-filled church gives witness to the gospel. And I'll say as well that a Spirit-filled Christian gives witness to the gospel as well. So a spirit-filled Christian. And that spirit-filled Christian, he's going to explain just like Peter did on that day of Pentecost as he stood. He ex they explain who Jesus is so others can come to Jesus, can come to Christ. And once they explain who Christ is, the gospel has power to convict the sinner of sin. And once that sinner is convicted of sin then they recognize my only hope is to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and thus they can call upon the name of the Lord, and the Bible says they can be saved. They shall be saved. And then once those sinners uh, are repentant and they place faith in Christ, then it's the gospel that assembles people into congregations just like this one of, of people who have been saved and baptized and who want others to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've seen in a nutshell uh, in, the God, in the book of Acts. And so now we're here at chapter 3. And it says that Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. You might say, now why are they in the temple? I thought they were Christians and not Jews. Well, they'd been going to the temple a long time. And so they just continued uh, doing what they normally did. I, I believe that's part of it. But also for this purpose. They knew that the gospel was supposed to go to the Jews first, and what better place to find Jews than at the temple? Well, you can find them just about anywhere in Jerusalem, and they did. They went from house to house, but they also went to the temple. Their house gatherings, as they would assemble in those households, was for fellowship and for encouragement and such, and thus they would come into the temple, as we're going to see here, to boldly proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter and John are on their way. The Bible says it was about the ninth hour. That would be about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Jews... In fact, to this day, have a morning time of prayer, an afternoon time of prayer, that 3 p.m. time, and then also an evening prayer. So they would have that. So this was uh, right there around that 3, uh, that 3 p.m. time of prayer. There was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. So they're coming into that time of the when the evening sacrifice was to be uh, held. And, but in conjunction with that, there was also a time of prayer. So they're coming there to the temple to pray. And no doubt to, to also give witness to other Jews that 
that, uh, that they would be, that they knew were looking for Messiah to come, they could say to these Jews, look no further, he's come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as they are on their way into the temple, then they, the Bible says in verse number two that they, that a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate, at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. So let's get this in our, in our mind's eye uh, as, as we can and try to develop this here a little bit so you can see it. Uh, as they would come into that area, the, the temple that Herod reconstructed was uh, divided up into four different courts, okay, four different areas. There was the outside area. Of course, you have the wall around that temple area proper. And so you pass from the city into that, that area that was known as the court of the Gentiles. Okay, so they would come into this area where non-Jews could gather in addition uh, to uh, the, the Jews. And so that court of the Gentiles there, that area. And then there would be an, an ascent, actually shaped somewhat like the uh, platform here, an ascent. And there at the top of the ascent, there was, of course, a gate. Uh, the Nicanor Gate, I believe is how that's pronounced. It was named after a man that, that built that gate. It was a very large, massive gate, um, 50 cubits high. It took about 20 men, Josephus says, a uh, Jewish historian. It took about 20 men for them to open this large gate that would pass from the, the court of the Gentiles into the next court. Okay, there's also, of course, other gates that were around the outside of the city. This is east, in case you're a little turned around. But, and so there was the eastern gate, the Shushan gate, as it was called. And so there was that gate there. But the gate on the east side was, was up against a rather steep incline. So there wasn't a whole lot of gathering there. But there was other gates where people could come into this, this general gathering. Everybody with me? Okay, uh, and so there's this gathering here, the court of the Gentiles. All right. After you uh, go in through the door here, you would be in what's called the court of women. Okay? It's where Israelite men and women could, could gather and, and be a part. Past that court of women would have been what's called the court of Israel. And it was open only to Israelite men. Laymen, and they didn't have to be priests, but they, they, uh, ha you had to be a man. Sorry. That's, I'm, I'm just telling you. How it was set up. I, it's not like I made it up, so don't get mad at me, ladies. But So there was the court of the Gentiles. Okay, everybody with me? Then there was the court of women. And then there was the court of Israel. And then there was the, the court of the priest. Okay, where obviously only the priest could enter. Where the brazen altar was. And then on the west side of that area, there was the sanctuary. Where there was two compartments to that. The holy place and then the holy of holies. Okay. That makes sense to you? You see it? Don't have to start over. We're doing okay? Okay, great. So, Peter and John are coming into the temple. Obviously, they're able to go at least into the court of Israel. So, as they're making their way to the court of, of, the, of Israel, uh, then they're passing through the court of Gentiles. There was a lot of activity. There's a lot of people there. Um, but one man that they saw here in particular was a lame man. Lame man indicating, of course, that he was crippled. The Bible says that he was crippled from birth. He was not able to, to walk. In fact, his condition evidently was so, so severe that people had to carry him daily. 
Chapter 4 and verse 22 tells us that he was over 40 years old. So for a long time, however long this man had been on his own, people had been carrying this man to the temple and set him in a strategic place to ask alms. To, uh, alms would be a donation. Um, to, to beg is what he was doing. This man was begging. Okay, so Peter and John are coming in. It says that he, they saw him at the gate that's called Beautiful. Why would it be called Beautiful? Well, because it was beautiful. Okay, you doing all right? Makes good sense. All right, I wish it was that simple because there's a lot of discussion about, okay, now what gate was this? Was this the gate Shushan? Was this the uh, Nicanor gate or was it another gate? And historians don't really know, but it really doesn't make a huge difference. He was at a gate that was beautiful. We all right? Now, most are going to take their pick that it was probably that, that Nicanor gate. That's what they're going to hold to, that it was probably there. I, if I cast my lot somewhere, I'm going to cast it there as well. Because that Shushan gate there on the east side is going to be too uh, treacherous for most people to enter. And if this guy is wanting to get a bunch of money, right, he's probably not going to be there where there's going to be limited traffic. He's probably going to be right about, oh, I'd say here, right by the gate. Another little detail here. On the other side of this gate in the court of women is the treasury treasury money okay you with me remember in uh in mark chapter 12 where the woman the widow she comes in to that court of women and she makes her she she does her offering in that in the treasury and she gave all that she had that was that court of women so the gentiles would not have been able to enter this man would have been able to enter. He could have went in that far, but most likely he's probably at this beautiful, elaborate gate. Uh, Josephus describes this gate as, um, as made of Corinthian bronze. Okay, Where other gates, there were ten gates. Nine of them were wooden but overlaid with silver and gold. Okay, So very elaborate. But this one was solid Corinthian, what they call Corinthians, bronze, obviously from Corinth. So it was a very elaborate gate, a very heavy gate, as, as, as was indicated earlier. And so a very expensive gate from Corinth. You know, we just went uh, to the Devon Tower, Tower just at the base of it and saw the big ornament. That was pretty neat. But anyways, then all the marble that is there, and it's shipped from India and other places. I'm telling you some elaborate stuff right here in Oklahoma City. Okay. So that's pretty neat. So here was, here was this gate that was from Corinth. It's a very elaborate door. Okay, it's a very elaborate gate. Here's this man that is laid here, unable to walk. Somebody brought him, had been bringing him there. He'd been clocking in at that place. He'd had that spot for like over probably 20 years. I'm going to throw that in there. I don't know. He was 40 years old. And so he's been there a long time. And over and over... Day after day, he said basically two words. Alms. Alms. Donations. Won't you give something to help a poor man? Alms. 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 Most people, as they came in, they would uh, be passing through the temple, and they wouldn't really even walk, look his way. They would just drop a coin there. And he'd get it. 
They wouldn't even look at him. And then they'd pass on in, and then they'd make their deposit there at the treasury, no doubt. So he's really in a strategic location. You know, I mean, this would, this would be a prime location for a beggar. Okay? You with me? Certain intersections right here in town are a little bit better than others. He had a good one. All right? He had a good one. He did. I'm just trying to tell you. He had a good one. All right? Because people already had their money ready to go in the treasury. Right? So they could say, well, here, my soul. Let me help you a little bit. But they wouldn't usually even look at them. In fact, they, they would do it. Watch this now. They would do it not so much to benefit him as to benefit them. Because the Jewish rabbi said there are three pillars in, in the Jewish faith. There's the Torah, and there's the giving of alms, and then there's another one that's in my notes that I'm not remembering right now. So, any case, it's there, okay? So, I'm just going to have to keep moving. Uh, it'll come to me at a weird time, so just be prepared for that, okay? But that's what they did. They said, it, they said this, look, it is, it is good for you... In the eyes of God, if you give alms, they said this, it's especially good if you do it in the temple area. It's like earning extra points. And so they would, they would do their alms, especially in that temple area. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? and how that uh, He said, when you do your alms as my disciples. So evidently Jesus was in favor of taking care and helping the poor. Okay? So he said, when you do that, though, don't sound a trumpet like the Pharisees and the hypocrites do. Dun, da, da, now giving. I just want to make a little deposit here. Cha-ching. So they would do that, not for this man's benefit, but they would do that again for who? Their own benefit. Because it looked good if you gave. And you wanted everybody to know how much you've given. Okay? That's why we don't have little horns in the pews when you give your offering where you... No. And like if you give over a hundred two toots or something. No, that's, that's not it. You don't, you, don't, you don't get points for doing that. Whatever. Just keep moving, Brother Jason. Here we go. Okay. So, the reason they gave was for their own selfish purposes. Here's a man... Asking for alms. Peter and John. You know, they'd been together a lot. In fact, it was those two that ran to the tomb. It was those two who saw Jesus along with James also transfigured. They'd been together a lot. But here they were and they were walking up to the temple for their prayer time. They saw this man. Maybe they had seen him. I don't know. They'd been to the temple before. But maybe they had seen him numerous times. They, they may have even recognized who he was. They may have seen him. Others recognized him there. They knew who he was. They knew that he was legitimately crippled. They knew that, it, that this healing was not a fake deal. They, they knew that this man was crippled, which, by the way, I wanted also to cover this, that, that, that being lame in that day and time was considered part of the outcast of their society. They were the outcast. In fact, Jesus said, when you make a feast, when you have a party, then you invite people who can't do anything for you in return. Don't invite people to your party that can have another party invite you to their party. You invite people who, who can't have a party. And he said one of those type of people that you're to invite would be the lame. They were outcast. According to Jewish law, in Leviticus chapter 21, 
lame individuals were in the list of people who could not be priests. Not that they couldn't go into the court of the women and even to the court of Israel, but they could not serve as a priest because of their condition. And so here was a man that, that may have not been in the temple. I, I don't know that part, but for sure he, he hadn't been very far in it, if at all, because of his physical condition. And at this point, he's on the outside of the gate looking in. Here's Peter and John. They came his way. And he said this as he was laying there. Alms. Alms. But that day, Peter saw him different. If he'd seen him before, he saw him different that day. Because the gospel makes you see people different. He saw him different that day, and then he said this to that man, Look on me. Well, that man was not used to having that. He was used to people walking by and saying, Here. And not even looking at him. But this time, that man stopped. This man, Peter, stopped and said, Look on me. Well, the Bible tells us that this man looked up and thinking, Man... I'm going to receive something big here. Did you see that in the Bible? He expected to receive something of them. The, the mother load is about to come in. I mean, this is my big day. This is going to be the biggest offering, the biggest alms that I've ever received, no doubt. Yes, sir. Then Peter said something to him. It may have discouraged him momentarily. He said, silver and gold have I none. Come on, he's a Baptist preacher, right? <laughs> Silver and gold have I none. I don't, I don't have any money. Now, I believe he was legitimately that way, whether he didn't carry it. Remember, they'd been taking up an offering for other people that had needs, so it may be that, that Peter had given everything that he had. We don't know why he didn't have money, but he just didn't have money. Silver and gold have I none. That guy might have thought, really? Well, just go on in then. <laughs> Silver and gold. Have I none? But I do have something to give you. And such as I have, give I you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus, what that means is under his authority, by virtue of his power, by virtue of his royal power, the High priest, the royal king, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, he said to that man. And then he took that man by the right hand. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Oh, on that day, that, that very first time, I don't know how he stood, but the Bible says that Peter reached out and he grabbed that man's right hand and he hadn't been able to, to stand. But on that day, his feet began to have strength. He fe- I mean, he felt it. Didn't you read that? Strength went through his feet and his ankle bones and his feet and, and his muscles were there and he was able to stand for the very first time. And there he was standing. In fact, the Bible has it this way that he, that he leaped to his feet. Hey. And then the Bible says that he walked. He was standing. I don't know if it would have been awkward for him, but remember, he never walked before. I mean, it wasn't like his dad said, come on, son, you can do it. <laughs> right? He never had that opportunity. Dad was not there. He's 40 years old, and he's never learned to walk. But on that day, by the name of Jesus, he took his first step. And then another step. 
And then another step. And he said, you know, I think I'm about done with walking. I'm about to just leave. <laughs> this is good stuff. I was going to get a volunteer to do that and I forgot. But anyways, man, the Bible says that he started springing up and leaping and whirling about. <laughs> Oh, good night. That didn't go exactly like I played it, so I forgot all this was here. <laughs> okay, have I made the point? He started leaping around. And he started praising God. This man did, who had never walked before. And then he did something else. The Bible says that he entered in to the temple. He went in with them. I don't know if he's ever been there before, but I'm sure he walked in and thought, wow, this is some place. Man, forget begging outside there. This is great. He walked in with them, and then the Bible says that they went out there to the east side eh, as they departed out in there in that area of Solomon's porch. And, and so all the people, I mean, they heard him. They heard him in there. Listen, it wasn't just that he was leaping around, but he is praising God. I can walk. In fact, I, it's not just that I can walk, but I can leap. I can move. My legs have strength. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. I've never done this before. I know you all are used to it. Quit looking at me funny. This is wonderful. Praise be to God. Just rejoicing and thankful to what God had done. I'm sure something, you are in the temple. You're supposed to be reverent in the temple. And the guy's doing leaps and turns and springing around. Man, well, I don't blame him. Jesus gave him a new walk. And they all came around. They said, hey, I know that guy. I've seen him every day right there at that gate called Beautiful. He's been there just like every day every twenty year, for 20 years. He's been there. That's the guy. No, maybe it looks like him. No, that's him. I know for sure. That's him. And he's leaping around. This is not fake. This is not phony. This is not TBN. This is real stuff. <laughs> wow. And they're overwhelmed by it. And Peter... Peter stilled the crowd that day and said, let me explain something to you. It's by the name of Jesus Christ. We'll read on in chapter 4. It's by the name of Jesus Christ that this man is standing. I love that part. He stands before you whole. He stands before you healthy today because of what Jesus did for him. I believe what Jesus had it and what Peter had in his mind was, look, what has happened here is because Jesus is the Messiah. I just wonder if he wasn't thinking about it. I Isaiah 35, how that the leap would leap like a, uh, the lame would leap like a heart. That's what the Bible said. When Messiah comes, the lame are going to leap and jump for joy. And that's happening. And it's happening even after Jesus left. Hey, can I throw this in here? Jesus did a very similar, a very similar, um, miracle when he healed a lame man. But here's what Jesus didn't have to do in the name of, he just said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees said, wait a minute, how can he say his sins are forgiven? Well, which would you rather me to say? His sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sin, then rise up and walk, take your bed. And that man stood up. The reason Jesus didn't have to use another name for the sake of authority is because he was enough authority Amen. all by himself. Amen. 
But Peter recognized, I don't have authority. I don't have power. I can't make this man walk. But I know the one who can. I know I don't have what you requested. Silver and gold, I don't have any of that. But I do have something that you need. I know what you want, but I also know what you need. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man, what a blessing. Hey, look, tonight, we don't have in our possession everything that people want. Which, by the way, a lot of times we get mixed up in our minds what we really need. People come here maybe thinking, man, I, maybe I come to this church. And we do. We help a lot of people. Which, by the way, Peter, James, and John, and all of them, they go on and help other poor people. There would be times they'd give money. But listen, what this man laying there at that gate, what he really needed was not another coin. With the image of a, of a, of a Roman uh, Nero there. They, he didn't need that. But what he needed is somebody that could run his life and rule his life. He needed the Lord Jesus Christ more than he needed money. And there's people that get mixed up in their mind. I tell you what I need. I need you to take care of my, my electric bill. And we help people with that. But more, listen to me now, more than they need a church to take care of their electric bill, we need to say to them, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why everybody that comes in into this church asking for any kind of help always gets a track, and if we can, a gospel presentation, because more than they need that money, they need the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may not have money. You may be singing the same song that Peter was singing. Silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money. But I do have what you need. You know, you may not have a whole lot of money to give to your kids. Now, if you got it, you ought to share it. It's all right. But, you know, you could give them a whole bunch of money, but if you don't give them the Lord Jesus Christ, you haven't given them what they really need. But you could be here tonight and not have a whole lot of this world's goods, but if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you pass on to those kids a heritage, a goodly heritage of loving God and singing and maybe even getting them a little bit excited about singing and and, and getting them praising the Lord and, hey, man, what a blessing that is, then you are passing on to them a goodly heritage. It's all right if you don't have money. If you've got Jesus, you've got all you need. We don't have what this world wants. But because we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have who this world needs. You know, the best gift you could give somebody this year, other than a snow shovel and a shotgun? (laughs) Best gift you could give would be a daddy who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is confident that Jesus is more than just a name that's on a piece of paper. That he's a name that's above every name. He has a name above every name. You may be reading the bulletin. I was just struck this week as I was reading from 2 Peter in chapter number 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. Peter didn't just say Jesus. He said our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Lord. Our Lord and Savior. I mean, over and over he just kept saying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He loved the Lord. It showed up in the way that he referred to him. And when he saw that man in need, his first thought was not coins. His first thought was, this man needs what Jesus has. So what you have may not be a whole lot on this world, 
But if you know Jesus, what you have is out of this world. Best gift you could give your kids is a dad and a mom who love the Lord and that help them to take their first steps in walking with God. It's a great gift you can give. Greatest gift you can give somebody that you work with is to say, you know, I don't have a whole lot to help you out monetarily. I may not even have a whole lot of time, or I don't have a whole lot of, you know, uh, like intellect. You might even say that. I don't have, <laughs> not all, but I mean, you know, so I don't have a whole lot of the, all that, but I'll tell you what I do have. I know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know that he can help you. I'm confident in that. You pass that on to somebody, that'll change their life. If Peter had said, here, let me just help you out a little bit. That would have helped him, and that would have been it. But he said to him, let me tell you about the name of Jesus. And that's something that would help him a whole lifetime. What a privilege and honor we have to run buses. Bring in children. Bring in teenagers and adults. And to knock some doors. And to bring some friends. And to say, you know... We have who you really, truly need. And to see them trust the Lord Jesus Christ and for the very first time to take a stand for the Lord. And then to see them begin to take a walk with the Lord. And to think, you know, walking is good, but I bet I could leap and start leaping and praising the Lord. Right in the house of God and just as they go on their way, driving down the road, just raising hands, saying, thank you, God, for all you've done. What a blessing. We have what this world needs. Let's share it. Let's stand together tonight. <clears throat> First of all, I'd like to ask if you're saved tonight. Could be someone here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We sure would like to invite you to come and to trust the Lord Jesus to be your Savior. I'm so glad that we could introduce him to you, introduce you to him, rather. So if that's your spiritual need tonight, then we invite you just to step out into the aisle nearest to you and to walk down to where somebody could take a Bible and show you from the Bible how you can be saved. And if you are saved tonight, may I just encourage you, the most, impre- the most precious thing you have, the most precious things we all have, It's not our monetary possessions. More precious than that is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, sure, it's nice to have things, and that's perfectly fine, but not to allow those things to overshadow his value. And so tonight, maybe you ought to just come and say, God, please help me to pass on to somebody around me how precious that Jesus truly is. Father, tonight, please help in the invitation. Acknowledge that this is your invitation and we're privileged to extend it. I pray that you'd help each and every one to respond in the way that they should and to see that although we may not have what people want, we do have who they need in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Amen.